Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety, resilience, helping our kiddos be successful. And really all of these strategies work for us adults as well. Very excited today talking with Bryce Willis. He's actually someone that I went to grad school with many years ago. He's a registered psychologist in Alberta whose areas of expertise include general anxiety, coping with stress, mental toughness, and enhancing sports, school, and work performance. He has participated in several different sports in his competition experience at the local, provincial, national, and international levels. His experience has provided him with insight into the psychological, emotional, and physical demands that athletes face, as well as what is required for effective performance. And today we'll be talking about managing uh, anxiety from sort of that performance lens. And really, when we look at things, performance anxiety is one of our biggest anxieties that falls under the umbrella of social anxiety, right? And that's the number one area of challenge that we experience as a species, as a human being species, right? Um, we want to belong to part of a tribe. And a big piece of that is how we perform and how we show up in, in that sort of way. So we do have a sports lens uh, focus for today, but it's applicable in all areas of life. I hope you enjoy. So, Bryce, thanks for joining me on the show today. It's exciting having you here. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to see you. Yeah, 20 years later, it's been a long time. Bryce and I go way back in grad school. Not quite 20 years. I shouldn't probably age us, but it's been a while. At least 15, I think it's getting there, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, So why don't we start? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I work as a psychologist here in Calgary, um, and I have a bit of a split practice. So on one hand, I work with, you know, adults and and adolescents in a, a range of areas for counseling. I do kind of anxiety, uh, depression, substance abuse, um, substance use disorders. Uh, but I also, on the other hand, have a fair bit of my population where I work with athletes and other performers. Um, I like to work with them to help them improve their performance in their sport or activity, but also their enjoyment of it in that, that area as well. I've been seeing a lot more of the sports psychology piece. Just my own girls are in pretty competitive sports and just yeah. seeing, I've been doing a few, a little bit more on mindset just because my focus is always anxiety, but some of that piece is just with some of the athletes that, uh, I get to work with. So I think it's really interesting. You know, we were talking about viewing anxiety from that performance-based perspective. So maybe we can jump in there if you're willing to go there. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we're talking about the same type of goal from different, from different lenses, right? Um, So as an example, you might have a, have a youth or adolescent who's who's working on a, a test, you know, and you could say, hey, you know, part of the challenge here is is they're feeling really anxious, and so let's target that anxiety that they feel. Um, similar similar approach, but different lens would be, yeah, let's look at this from a performance perspective. You know, what's important about performing at our best? What are some of the different factors that can lead to it? And certainly, anxiety might be a piece of it, but a somewhat bit of a different orientation than than kind of targeting a you know, the, the specific area of anxiety or the challenge there. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in different domains too, right? Outside of the academics. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it would be helpful. And and I actually, I always talk about taking a transdiagnostic approach. And so when I'm looking at anxiety, you know, it could be about phobias, you know, 
scared of dogs, scared of needles. It could be um, more generalized or scared of everything, uh, but it doesn't really matter, right? It's looking at the patterns, the strengths, the challenges, you know, kind of looking at all of those pieces. So how would you work with a kiddo? You know, like, let's say that they have some of that performance anxiety, whether it's tests or, I mean, we can see it show up and even just putting her hand up in class, for example, right? So many different areas. Yeah, lots of different areas, right? Where we actually look at it and it's it's performance when we get down to a, to a degree. Um, so again, it would depend on, on the youth and obviously the situation, but but certainly one lens that you know starts to look at when they are able to perform and and when they're able to perform at their very best and enjoy things the most and and access all their strengths and abilities, what is that state, right? Um, so one one kind of perspective is something called optimal performance state where you know, it describes that focus we have, what we're, how we're viewing, where our attention is, what we're looking at in terms of ourself or the demands we're facing, what our physical state is, what our emotional state is, and starting to piece together a little bit about what that looks like for each person, as well as each activity, right? Because we think that that might vary depending on what we're doing. You know, powerlifting would not be the same as it would be for taking a test or doing a presentation. Um, and one person's disposition might not be the same as someone else's. But if we can start to figure out for each of those kind of unique individuals, how they perform at their best in that state, that's often a bit of a first step. I love that, that sort of strengths-based approach, because it's so easy just to look at the problem and stay stuck in deficit. And, you know, I think it's, can be so much harder looking at where we need to go, forgetting about what we're already doing successfully. So, and, and how would you go about that? How would you you know, help for people who are listening. I mean, there's other professionals who might be interested, but parents as well, you starting to look for some of those strengths when kiddos in those areas of life or adults too, this is applicable for everyone. Um, how we can start really capitalizing and focusing with a little bit more awareness on those areas where we are performing well. Yeah. So I think, I think it would start with what you're talking about, right. You know, is that awareness? Mm -hmm. So we're really kind of digging for, and it is, definitely consistent with some of the solution focused approaches too, right? We're digging for those times when, when I did perform well, right. Or, or I was in that state where, you know, I was able to focus, attend, direct energy, um, be there, you know, it does overlap a little bit sometimes with that flow concept, right. Or some of those clutch concepts um, and, and really starting to gather some of that data. Right. Sometimes we'll have people kind of, go back in time to, to identify some of those situations or notice them moving forward. But we're looking for, for all those different areas around what they were thinking about themselves, the challenge, um, how they're feeling physically, emotionally. Sometimes it's a combination of emotions too. Right. Anxiety is often a really common component because it's almost always there to some degree in some of the performance situations. So we want to have them to kind of dig into how it was showing up in the intensity, but also those other pieces. Mm-hmm. I'm often giving homework about just our brain isn't set up to remember our successes. It's definitely mm-hmm. more set up to remember our fails and hurts and, yeah. you know, all of those things. So I'm often giving um, a homework to look for, like, start with 50 accomplishments that you've had from the time you were in preschool <laughs> as far back as you can remember, you know, just to bring some of that awareness piece. Um, and then daily, you know, once we kind of catch up to now sort of having daily awareness around those little things too, that can, can really add up. Um, 
one thing, man, I always go in about a million different directions. So if you don't want to go in a direction that I'm going to take you in, or if you think there's an area that you think is more important, let me know. But one thing that I see that really sort of cripples any work that I do is if perfectionism is in the way. And I would say, you know, even above depression or anything else that I work with, but especially when it comes to anxiety and performance anxiety, that perfectionism is almost the number one thing we need to focus on. I don't know if you find that in your own work and how you address that. Yeah, certainly it's a piece, right? And I think it does relate to some of those appraisals that as performers, we make all the time, you know, but particularly around the consequences of success. Um, so a lot of the models kind of look at, yeah, how am I, how am I especially automatically kind of viewing the nature of the challenge or threat itself? How am I viewing my strengths and resources for, for kind of meeting that? But the third piece is also really big is the consequences. So that's where I, I do see some of that perfectionist and types of appraisals, uh, again, that are usually automatic, right? You know, if I am not successful, then it is, you know, often bad or terrible, or it means something about me. Um, and those perfectionist themes show up there. So that's definitely a piece that we look for, particularly on that cognitive side and how we want to be viewing, viewing the consequences in the situation. And how would you address that? So it, yeah, it depends, I think too, a little bit on um, how sticky it is, but certainly there's kind of traditional cognitive kind of restructuring, reframing approaches or affirmations we use a lot in kind of sports psych where we're just kind of specific intentional labels on that. Mm-hmm. So that might be a deliberate interpretation of, yeah, this is one of, yeah, this is one of many tournaments, right? Or, or some of the growth mindset stuff often comes a little bit here, right? With right. some of the, how can I view this as a bit of a process that's distinct from me, which kind of takes some of that pressure off to be, have it to be perfect. Right. Uh, sometimes it's even some kind of diffusion strategies where we're kind of just noticing those, those thoughts and kind of unhooking a little bit from them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I, I'm a bit on the behavioral side, right? So a lot of times it c- comes down to behaving in a way that's showing my body that things don't have to be perfect. Right. Sometimes it means making, making mistakes or having it not be perfect. You find that kind of sinks in a little bit the most, but. I definitely take a behavioral approach to you and then being able to tolerate. And that's really what it is. It's about tolerating the discomfort that comes with making mistake. Right. And so, yeah, I do a lot of work around that piece. So with the awareness, that's kind of the first step. We have the awareness of the strengths where I have been able to perform well, then Mm -hmm. where do you go with that? Well, then we look to, we look to build that skill and capacity to, to get into that state or get closer to that state more often. So I do think it's a really important to have that as a target, right? Because that that puts us in a different both mindset, in my opinion, physiological process when we're saying, hey, I'm going to move towards this state mm-hmm. versus, oh, no, there's anxiety. I need to reduce that, which is more of a threat-oriented state. Right. So certainly we, we want to have equip people with different psychological skills um, to move towards that. And a lot of there's a lot of commonality with some of the CBT kind of approaches. So it is working with building specific thinking patterns and prompts. Sometimes we'll have people explicitly identify those strengths and resources they have to meet some of those challenges, right? That can help our body when it's looking at that situation to to remember that and see, yeah, you know what, even if this is a a fairly significant challenge or a threat, and even if there is some high consequences to it, I do have a lot of these resources. So we're kind of priming that in the mind and we're having them be able to identify and focus and hopefully learn from their experiences that that's accurate stuff. 
Um, a lot of times it's around kind of nervous system, you know, physical, emotional kind of regulation. You know, some of the traditional things like, like breathing strategies, um, both for lowering or sometimes actually energizing or increasing, depending on what that state and that level might be. Um, sometimes it's, it's imagery, which is a really common one. So we use imagery to help with kind of actual performance of skills and tactics and strategies, but we also use it for emotion regulation as a piece. Um, it can help us move towards that, that zone. Um, we have uh, strategies around kind of attention regulation and, and practicing that um, so that the attention is focused on kind of the task and what we want it to be versus the internal focus and threat-based focus, which can sometimes get hijacked by that anxiety process or by other demands in the situation. Um, so those are those are some of the common ones. There's also some different biofeedback types of ones that are that are used at times. Okay. Uh, but all those are kind of put together in a package to help help move towards that state, right? Right. So I wonder if it might be helpful to use an example. Um, but after that, once you do some of those kinds of things, would there be an, a next piece? Reps. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Repetition, repetition. So that's yeah, that's the that's the kind of athlete in me, and and that's what I believe kind of works, right? Same as any other skill in our sport, or you know, musical endeavor, or or anything else where we're performing, we want the reps, um, and we want the skill built in advance, right? We don't want to just have someone learn something and then go into the hardest possible situation and try and apply it. Mm -hmm. We want that capacity built. Um, and then we want them, you know, repping that mental routine that includes those components over and over again. And often we'll have them associated with the practice and preparation components so that many of those automatic processes start to kind of just kick in when they're in the actual performance situation. Right. So having that daily piece, I remember reading somewhere and it was brilliant. So it was research just looking at uh, English learner language kiddos who to become fully fluent needed to be fully immersed full time in an English speaking world, you know, five to seven years on average is what it took. Yeah. And to sort of be able to master all the discomfort that comes with anxiety and to tolerate everything that life throws us. And, you know, all of those big situations, when big emotions come up, it's kind of the same thing being immersed every day. It, so it takes time. I think that's the point here is that it takes time. You don't get a six pack abs overnight. Similarly, you know, it's, you have to do those reps and it's sort of the whole package. You can't eat a pizza and bag of Oreos every day for dinner. And even though you're doing sit-ups every day, right? Like there's a whole sort of approach that you need to take that takes time. Yeah. And I think that's the ideal situation really. And unfortunately, one of the com most common challenges I face is, is athletes or performers coming kind of mid-season or before playoffs, right right at the end. And, and, and the performance situation that's really big to them is coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. Right. right? Um, and what we ideally like is really during the off season to be building these skills and, and using them in practice and preparation so that they're really entrenched there. It's not to say we can't still contribute or, or help, especially with elements, but like you said, we want that, that immersion and that, and that practice and that activation over and over. Yeah. So if we were to take an example and let me know if, if, if this isn't a great example, but you know, let's say we've got a teenager 
we'll, we'll say grade 12, right? Ready to write diplomas, mm -hmm. right? But huge test anxiety, does great on assignments. I see this quite often where it does great on assignments, knows the materials, and then goes into a test and just bombs. And a lot of it is because of the test anxiety. Right. Um, how would you work with that student? Yeah. And I see that actually commonly too, right? And they kind mm -hmm. of blank or they know it or they can do it on an assignment after. And it's incredibly frustrating for them as well as for their family, for their teachers, right? Um, and sometimes there's even that unfortunate implication that they're they're not doing enough or not trying harder, which right. sometimes can worsen things, right? But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so a lot of times it does start with, you know, some of the education on that, on the process that can happen, right? I'm not sure from your lens and your models, but for us, what we think a lot of times happens is that anxiety shows up and the focus goes from kind of out of the present moment, what they need to be doing to perform to like an inner focused and outcome focus, right? So I'm starting to think about what happens if I don't do well, maybe I'm having memories of a previous test where this didn't go, my activation's up, my focus goes inwards instead of outwards on the task. So I actually can't think and process um, as well as my nervous system will be higher. And now I notice it's getting harder to remember, which creates more distress. So we often kind of educate about some of that kind of cycle and that process that can happen. Mm -hmm. And it would be, uh, you know, in previous tests, or sometimes it's even practice tests, or sometimes it's even some of the assignments they do at home, but we start to identify, yeah, uh, how are you feeling in those circumstances? Um, what were the different types of emotions you're having, right? Um, how intense were they? And then we might also look at what, how are you viewing the situation? A lot of times they're they're viewing it in a different way, right? It's mm -hmm. okay if this isn't perfect. I know I can, you know, get some help if I need to, or or redo it, or 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 other types of processes that basically remind themselves that it's okay. Uh, but we do want to dig into how they're viewing themselves in that situation around the test, the consequences of the test. I would, like I said before, really kind of have them identify some of those strengths and those abilities and resources that they know will help them to meet some of the demands of the of the specific situation. Um, but then we would also have them look at what some of the most important things were to focus on in that test. Because there's definitely some st strategic elements too. You know, when we're going into tests, maybe there's strategies around how you read the question, what you focus on first, um, which helps us both tactically to identify what's a good approach, but also helps to direct our attention to what's most important, which is that being present in the moment versus that internal stuff, right? Right. And then sometimes it might be, yeah, let's work on some, some momentary muscle relaxation. Let's work on a little bit of kind of some of the diaphragmatic breathing or down, downgrading a little bit of that activation, if indeed it's often too high because of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we'll work on some of the imagery around having them see and feel themselves performing well in that situation especially really especially if they can anchor to previous times when they have mm -hmm. it does take some digging but a lot of times there are there there are those foundations there that we can use right and so we would yeah maybe put together a routine and we'd have them practice it especially when they're doing their preparation and studying for it okay and then that's all primed to go when they start to get in a test or performance situation right and what would be an example routine would it be then that step, like, so deep breathing, and then I'm going to visualize. And then is that what you mean by this is sort of yeah. your process for tests? So I, you know, I often will kind of anchor with, with a couple of breaths, right? It's, it's a yeah. bit of a cue. It's yeah. a bit of a down regulation, especially if that nervous system is tending to be a little bit higher. So I'll do a kind of two or three breaths, 
we'll have them kind of remember what that state is where they perform at their best, right? Just a bit of a direction, you know. So I'm calm, you know, kind of moderate anxiety. I'm I'm confident, feeling kind of excited, um, hopeful, and and then some of the statements about themselves, right? I'm well prepared. You know, I know this material well. I've demonstrated I can do this. Um, I have options too if if things aren't ideal. Some of those statements would be kind of what we're internally repping, um, and a little bit of that visualization of them executing the test, right? right? And with visualization, we use lots of senses, right? Whether we see, hear, smell, feel as we're going into the room, right? Right. Um, and especially if they've written the test in that room before, that's even better. They have that memory foundation. Um, so they're kind of seeing themselves execute that, um, focusing on that technical, you know, what's most important here. Okay. Read the question thoroughly first, identify key elements, start with what I know, right? So having them kind of, again, internally represent that, and then a couple other kind of breasts to reground. And that would be an example of, of a routine, right? Yeah, that's good. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, just when, you know, athletes choke, for example, a couple of things. One, the visualization is kind of getting into, you're actually thinking of something that is impossible to fail on. And that's kind of what you're focusing on. So in golf, like we, we hear stories of these amazing golfers who are winning the masters and then, you know, their last couple of strokes, they just bomb and, you know, like a five foot putt and they're missing it. And so a visualization of something that absolutely cannot go wrong would be them picking up the ball from the hole, right? Like that's, yeah. and so that's kind of what they're focusing on versus them trying to get the ball in. Right. Cause and maybe I'll ask you about choking in a second, but focusing on that piece, but then also the mantra of it's just another game. It's just another game. It's not the master's championship. It's not my 50%, you know, 50% of my grade 12 mark. That's going to be, you know, it's just another test. It's just another game. It's just another or even part of my process for development, right? Oh yeah. This is my, this is my way of improving, right? That's so true. getting out of that fixed mindset a little bit, yeah. yeah. Actually, I do that with my auditions. It's funny, yeah. I've never thought of that. It's it's just, this is part of my work. It's not to get the job, it's part of my work. You're improving the product, right? Yeah. yeah. I love that, yeah. So maybe let's go into choking. Cause I think that I, I love, you know, talking about that. I actually do talk a lot about it with my kids because a lot mm. of them can, and especially my boys who play hockey, for example, they can, mm -hmm. you know, they've got had those moments where they just, you know, they've got the final game shot and they choke. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So it's a common one, right. And definitely related to that, that anxiety, but we think with choking, what tends to happen is, Again, you know, the body starts to feel anxious. Usually it's as a function, right, of being in that performance situation with higher consequences. Mm -hmm. That's where we see it happen the most, right? The game's on the line or the, you know, it's the important game in the tournament. Um, nervous system goes up. And as soon as the, the mind and kind of body recognize that going up, it starts to sometimes appraise that as a bit of a threat, right? This doesn't feel good or it can impact my performance in a negative way. And then what we think happens is attention goes again from the outside and execution of the tasks I need to be doing, which I do need to be doing kind of in the here and now, right? Mm -hmm. I've been practicing it for, and it goes inward and to threat, right? So my attention is no longer on the game, which makes it harder for me to perform and the skill I want to be doing. It's focusing internally 
which increases my nervous system activation and my anxiety even more, which makes in, in sports, especially, or let's say it makes it physiologically more difficult to activate things, right? If part of that consequence is that I have muscle tension and, and you know, kind of this bracing activity where my muscles are tightening against each other and my heart rate's up and my, my focus isn't able to, to execute as well, then I'm less likely to perform. And we think that's part of that choking behavior that we see, right? So then they go and rush the shot and they miss it. Uh, or they're not able to as fluidly kind of execute that mechanic as they would be a thousand other times when they practice it because all those forces are in play. Right. And I've read too, that sometimes it's because we over-focus. And so, you know, that implicit memory isn't working great anymore because we are focusing too much. So for example, if like we know how to ride a bike, we don't have to, when we're first learning to ride a bike, we have to think about balancing and how, how do I steer my handlebars and, and pedal. And we're thinking of every single action that we're doing and it's hard, right? That it's coordinated yeah. movement. But once we have it, we never have to think about it again. We never have to think where our hands go on the handlebars, where our butt goes on the seat. But when we over-focus and we're too, like, we're so stressed out and we're so worried that we're going to fall. And now all of a sudden it it's like we have, we're a beginner again. We've lost all of those automatic skills that were so implicit because we're focusing on <laughs> too much. So like we're over-focusing again. I don't know if, uh, if that's something you work on as well. Yeah, I would totally agree. And that's what we think is, and it does depend on the per performer in the situation, right? Like you said, in skill acquisition, we do want people more explicitly focusing on those mechanics. But once it is an implicit kind of skill, you know, like you said, overthinking or over-focusing on all the details of what I need to be executing actually takes me out of my ability to, to do it as well, right? Because that's not the nature of the skill in that moment. Right. So it's a really good point. And it's something that we have to be aware of too, as we're working with performers, is their relative skill level and ability. Because yeah. it does influence a little bit about what we have them focus on and how much. I remember watching a video of a girl she was doing, she was a ski jumper. And so she had always done the little ski jump and this was her first, she had a, a pro go camera on her helmet yeah. and uh, she, she was moving up to like the 60 foot jump from the 20 to the 60, whatever it was. And so you can hear her really starting to panic just as she's about to go. This is so big. Right. And so um, all her coach said, it's just another 20, it's just another, or it's just a bigger 20. It's just a bigger 20. And so you could hear the girl, she was still nervous, but it, it's kind of like that. I got this. I don't have to pick, think about where my feet are and how I hold my body and how much do I have to squat and how much do I have to tuck and, you know, all of those things. So that's what she started. This girl started repeating to herself. I mean, she couldn't have been much more than, you know, 14 to 16 at most. Like, I don't even think she was that old, but she was saying it's just a bigger 20, it's just a bigger 20. Just and you could still hear the nervousness, but you could also hear the confidence growing. And she first went and you could hear the ah, the panic rising, the fear. But then about halfway down, you could tell she's like, I got this. She didn't actually say it, but you could just tell because now she started cheering and she did it and landed it. And it was, you know, big party. So that sort of like, I'm prepared. I've got this. I've done this before. And so that's why. I can see that connection, highlighting it back to those strengths and the times that I've done can become so powerful in the moment. Yeah. So again, I hear, when I hear that, I hear, yeah, I'm reducing the, the size of the threat or challenge here, right? It's just another 20. Right. So I'm reducing that. And I'm also kind of, you know, subtly kind of reminding myself that I do have the strengths and resources before I've hit twenties, I've hit these other things that can do this and that can kind of sneak in there for sure. 
Another piece around that appraisal I, I didn't touch on that's also really important, though, is how we're having athletes and performers appraise the anxiety process itself. Mm. So that's another area that sometimes we include in those in those mental routines, but also is an important one to address. Um, we think, you know, if, if a performer is noticing that they're feeling anxious and, and they kind of view it as, oh, no, there's anxiety, that's a problem, that's a threat, we think performance is less likely to to be as good as it could be, right? And go down. But if we can have what we call kind of an adaptive appraisal or helpful appraisal of anxiety, you know, this is my body's way of helping me to get ready to perform. There's an ideal level of this I needed to, to be able to execute, even if it doesn't feel great, then we think that that can help with performance. So it's a really also sometimes important component that, that sneaks in there sometimes. And I, I think that that's important. I mean, one of the very first pieces that I do with parents and kids and teachers and whoever I'm working with is the normalization. This is normal. Our yeah. brain is built to be anxious. It's protecting us. So that being like, thank you, anxiety for watching out for me, making yeah. me know that this is important. So I think that that normalization piece is absolutely huge because yeah. it's so easy to think what's wrong with me. You know, everybody else is happy. Everybody else can do it. Why, why me? Right. And and then that just worsens everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I do have one more question just about some of your sports stuff, but anything around this topic that we haven't talked about that you think is important? Yeah. I mean, not so much. I think we've gotten, to some of the stuff that's most important to me when I work with, with youth and, and adults. The only other thing that I, I didn't mention too that relates to sports, but also back to, to kind of life is I, I think sports can also be used as a, as a nice vehicle for working and learning to experience anxiety um, that we can generalize to other contexts, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we work with people like we work in an office like this and we see them on a couch or in chairs and and people understand that. And sometimes they have some of the skills there, but we don't totally, I, I think it's hard to really have those skills in depth absent the context um, to really learn them. Right. So we want an environmental context or a situational context where my body is responding really powerfully right. when there does feel like there's something on the line. So I think something that's important to consider in this area overall is yeah, some of these can also be used as a really nice vehicle where we're going to get some of those powerful emotions and body sensations and challenges. And if we can use that to help us to really test and practice and build those skills, then we've got them right. And we can use them in a range of other circumstances. So that's something I also kind of like to have for, for athletes that I work with is also just remembering it can go back the other way, right? We can really use this as a vehicle sometimes. I think that was uh, right along the lines of what I was going to ask, because I know that you train and coach in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you had mentioned, you know, sports can be used as vehicles to promote that mental toughness and resilience. Yeah. And so I think that that's what I was going to ask you about. And it sounds like you beat me do yeah. it. Well, I'm passionate about that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that sport. And, and I think, you know, combat sports in particular, sometimes have a bit of a extra edge. Um, in terms of activating the body and some of those safety systems so they can be good ones, especially if we know intellectually that they're generally safe. Right. Um, and, and I see it all the time with, with youth and even more so with adults. It's interesting because I think the adults that I see and, you know, coming into their very first classes have almost even more kind of activation of those body responses than some of the kiddos do, right? Because mm -hmm. kiddos are sometimes no, used to some of those nerves that come in a little bit more, but adults, we haven't felt that in a while sometimes. And so they're coming in and they're like, whoa, 
my body's getting activated. This is my first class. You see them kind of really, their breathing's changes and they're exhausted immediately. You know, they're very kind of focused on, on not doing anything wrong or, or some of these other processes. So um, to me, that's just an excellent example of, hey, here's a really nice area where we can kind of generate some of that and hopefully help people. And, and inevitably that's what happens, right? As, as they get through that and they become successful and their body sees, Hey, I did this. Hey, it wasn't a huge threat. Hopefully, Hey, it was fun as well. Um, then again, I see some of those more durable skills and, and abilities kind of come for working with that stress in your body. Yeah. I actually have a friend who does jujitsu and he had a shoulder injury a couple of months ago and he can't, he can't uh, do anything right now. And it's, it's so hard and you can just see his mental health deteriorating. Right. So I think that there, I mean, there's the physical component, but I'm always saying sports is a huge protector factor. You know, we've got our teachers, we've got parents, we've got important people in our life, but sports I would say is like just as important because there's belonging, there's connection, we're working together, we have, there's being able to manage disappointment when we do lose, right? Like, I think that there's so many pieces there that help build that emotion regulate, even wrestling with our siblings. I tell parents, let the kids wrestle because they're learning that emotion regulation and self-regulation and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Exactly. Social components, ego components, lots of, lots of important areas can kind of get activated in that. Yeah, exactly. And with that sports piece, well, it's just going back to the analogy that I often use is how to train your dragon. So just how you were saying, you know, when being on our couch, doing the work is one thing we can talk about it, but when we're comfortable, nothing's going to change. It's just like how to train your dragon in the movie, right? Hiccup and his friends have to go wake up the dragons. They have to put themselves in a dangerous situation to be able to train that dragon. And so in this case, our amygdala, our emotional brain to train it, we have to activate it. So Yeah, that was a great point. Wonderful. I mean, we could probably talk for hours and hours on this, but I think that that gives a really good overview. Um, And I think so many different professionals and parents and people listening can take it to their own unique context and really apply it. So wonderful. Well, I think I think it is a good lens, right? And Mm -hmm. something to consider, especially for for some of the some of the youth that. may not always be therapy, therapy inclined, right? Or they may feel a little bit you know, like, you know, if I'm going to therapy, there's a problem. You know, I right. see a certain amount of that too, right? Of, of youth coming in because that orientation of approaching it as improving performance is a little bit easier for them to kind of connect with, right? Or it feels a little bit less stigmatizing in some way, not that it should be, but um, for them, it can help to have that. So just a consideration too out there for, for parents or, or, you know, who have youth that are kind of on the fence, maybe about the therapy, but mm-hmm. still, you know, are fundamentally looking at me at some of these performance situations of anxiety showing up. Sometimes it's a fair lens. Yeah. I think that's important. And I often talk about too, like, I love seeing kids when things are going good, so we can keep that going. What is yeah. going good? Let's bring that awareness to it so we can keep that going. Right. It doesn't have to be, you know, crisis. That's usually what we see, right. Couples counseling. It's usually when couples are at the end of their marriage, right. Or seeing kids when they've had a panic attack and they had to go to the hospital. So, you know, being proactive around all of this can be good too. Well, wonderful. I've got your contact information. I will put that in the show notes for people if they want to get in touch. And I see that you've left a couple of resources there for everyone as well. So thank you very much. Perfect. Yeah, it was good to see you again. Thanks for having me on. 